Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. All right. You know what that means? You are listening to the Mystery of Parenthood. And um, before we get started, we'll start, as we always do, with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray Pray for for us. us. St. John Paul II, pray pray for for us. us. All right. Well, thank you all very much. I said, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's finish that thing. All right. <laughs> hey, um, I'm here, and um, we are um, we're going to talk today about something that's kind of foundational to what, um, what this whole show has been about. Um, some of it you may have heard, and certainly if you've been listening for seven plus years, you've You've heard it. Uh, we haven't addressed it again. It came up in a meeting the other day where somebody asked um, about the name of the station, you know, the, the codename Religious Education for the Domestic Church, um, about the idea of, of the family being the domestic church. And so kind of going to first part of it, we're going to lay out the kind of the groundwork and where that comes from and what that means. And then um, and then we'll move on to some practical things to implement in your family to try to uh, fulfill the mission of becoming a domestic church. So with that, we'll begin. So um, Dennis may chime in here and there, and he's and I, he's more than welcome to, but um, I've got a bunch to cover, so we'll just jump right in. So first off, we're going through this, and you've heard, you've heard this before, but I'll go quickly. Holy matrimony um, is a sacrament. And again, I hope all everybody out there to listen for any period of time knows that the, the definition that I use, which is the definition, uh, one of the definitions that church uses is matrimony is a visible sign of invisible realities instituted by Christ to confer grace. And again, as, as is mentioned, we believe in this. This is actually, it's funny. This is actually an old, I'm talking from an old one. We, we changed it to a the church changed the translation to the visible and the invisible. And so as a sacrament, we have a visible sign and that visible sign is meant to um, reflect, which is a, a reality, which is invisible. Uh, what I had here is the seen and the unseen, which used to be the, which used to be the, the old translation of it. But I think visible and invisible is, um, is the better term, the better way to look at it. So the visible, if we take that part, you know, should be directed toward and subordinated to the invisible. That comes from Vatican II, uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium, the the um, uh, the document in Vatican II, and it ta- it's talking about the Mass, but, but it talks about how the visible it should be directed toward, meaning it should point to, it should be headed towards... Um, the invisible, and that it should be subordinated to, meaning that whatever the invisible has been revealed by God should be kind of the the driving force of where we're headed. So it, it talks about the human to the divine, action to contemplation, and this present city, life on earth here, to the eternal city. So the human obviously is 
the visible. The divine would be the invisible. Action is what we do in this life, and it and it's visible versus contemplation, which is something um, invisible in the present city to the eternal city. And I think it's really important to remember that with regard to like contemplation, we should be thinking about these things. I'm going to try to put these things out there as kind of sort of guideposts or things to direct toward, which is what God has revealed about his invisible nature um, and that we're called to do that. And then there's another quote. This comes from um, John Paul II in his letter to the laity, Christi Fidelis Laici. And it says that the Christian faith, and this is just a bold statement, um, really bold. The Christian faith is the only fully valid response to the problems and hopes that we have in our families, in and for our families. So the Christian faith, which plays itself out in action, plays itself out through the human, but is ultimately um, informed by and strengthened by um, the faith itself, the grace and truth that comes from it. So we make the spiritual and divine visible through our bodies and it alone. And that's another quote from John Paul II on, on, um, from Theology of the Body, that he says the body and it alone is capable of making the invisible visible. And that's what we're called to do. So ultimately, we got we to know what the unseen is before we can make it visible. And that is we need these two unseen things, truth that exists separate from us. And then we need the strength to do it, which is we need grace. So from a Catholic perspective, again, as we talked about, grace elevates our nature. Um, it does not merely cover us. So, and, and the way we look at it, Jesus was the perfect human. He was also, but so he's the, the outward manifestation of what, an invisible relationship with God. He's, he is hundred percent God, but he is also a hundred percent man. And he reveals to uh, each of us this high calling and, and our capacity. If we allow God's grace to transform us in Christ to actually live it out, albeit we're fallen, his grace and the truth that he reveals to us, we should strive for and We should trust in his grace to do it. So, that's a general overview, but now we're going to get to the domestic Jew, domestic church, um, which is our family. The family is to be a reflection to the world of the Catholic Church. We're actually meant to reflect uh, Christ's church to the world in and through our our family. And so, um, here's one from the Catechism, uh, Catechism twenty two oh four, which is where this comes from, it says, and it's actually from Familiaris Consortia, which is on, on um, the family, and it's quoted from Lumen Gentium, which again is also a Vatican II document. Whenever you hear Vatican II and Pope John Paul, who saw at least as one of his main um, goals of his pontificate was to um, implement Vatican II was to make it real. And part of what that was, was to take the invisible realities that we believe and be sure about what is really true, good, and beautiful, and what God has provided us in and through his church and through the person of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom of his bride, the church, and what he was, and then know that, have the strength to do it, and then actually put it into practice. So this is from this, this quote, the Christian, the Christian family constitutes a specific revelation and realization of ecclesial communion, of church communion. And for this reason, it can and should be called a domestic church. It is a community of faith, hope, and love, and it assumes singular importance in the church, as is evident in the New Testament. And he references Ephesians 5, 21 through 6-4, which is his teaching on how the church is, I mean, how the husband and wife's relationship should reflect the relationship between Christ and and his bride, the church, and also 
talk it references a couple other Colossians three, eighteen through twenty one and first Peter three, one through seven. Both of those really actually talk about how husbands and wives should interact, what they what they should be, which is actually flows from Ephesians uh, five and how fathers and mothers should talk to their children and how children should should um respond to their parents. And so um, very specific in those in those ones. Ephesians five twenty one and following, Colossians three eighteen through twenty one, and First Peter three one through seven. And again, if you want to go read that quote, it's from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, number twenty two oh four. So, anyway, we're called to be a domestic church. So, what the heck does that mean? Obviously, it's meant to be that we're a community of faith, we're a community of hope, and we're a community of love. And the family, as even the prayer we talk about, is meant to be something through which the church um, realizes or manifests itself to this world in a way that hopefully draws others to the faith um, if, we're, if we're doing what we should do. So I'm going to break down that definition. So it constitutes a specific revelation. So a revelation, the Christian family is meant to reveal to the world the communion found in the Catholic Church, which is a community of faith, hope, and love. So are we a family that is a community of faith? Do people know that we go to church on Sundays, that we pray together, that that we have Christ as its center? And how do they know that? And we're going to talk specifically about some things that we should be doing or should implement in those families. And the next thing is that it's a specific revelation. I mean, I'm sorry, realization. So the first one's a revelation. Second one is a realization. So a Christian family is the result of the communion found through, with, and in the church, the body of Christ, the result of God's gift of himself, of faith, hope, and love. And so we're meant to realize that communion in our families. Um, and again, look, we fall short. And I, you know, I know that this is it. I mean, Stephanie and I wrote what we're talking about today, really, which was just extracting from what the church has already given us and what the Bible has already given us with regard to what uh, the church should be. And we fail frequently. So. <laughs> We're often not, um, I mean, she, just talking about the way I responded to things that were occurring just this weekend, um, even in the in front of people. I mean, my frustration and sometimes um, temper because things weren't working the way <laughs> I wanted them to work, you know, instead of just embracing that. So, so I failed um, at that. Um, and so I, what we're doing here is shooting for the stars. And if we shoot for that, if we shoot for heaven, we're going to fall short because we're who we are. We're sinners. And, um, and that's, you know, something to remember, but we shouldn't lose, um, hope with regard to that because as, as long as we recognize that and admit it and, and so, um, if I haven't apologized to my children <laughs> and my wife, I need to. I need to ask for their forgiveness for my um, my temperamentalness and my, you know, things aren't working and then taking it out. It had nothing to do with them, taking it out on them, maybe in my shortness or whatever. But that's where it plays itself out. You know, like I said, the, hum- the human side should be subordinate to the um, to the divine side or the or the invisible side so i should have it rearranged but typically what happens is uh, life gets in the way but that's where it happens so good news is we can always turn around and say hey i'm sorry i mishandled that i shouldn't have done that i wasn't a good reflection of of who god is which is god the father i'm i'm meant to be i'm challenged with being a, a an accurate uh manifestation of that but I'm also human. As a human, I need to ask for forgiveness when I fall short. So, so a revelation, a realization, and then the the Christian family is the 
domestic church and should reflect the truth of Christ's church. And in striving for this goal of family, not only witnesses, um, not only witnesses or reveals to the world the power of God's grace, but also becomes or realizes its full beauty and its health and it's being healed, so to speak. So healing always, so just like I said, in, in this past weekend, you know, healing presupposes there's something that needs to be healed. <laughs> and, and, and often that's because of wounds that have been created by my shortness or my raising my voice or, or, or those type of things that, that do require healing. And I've got to be humble enough, even though I'm a dad, <laughs> I, I'm uh, in a position of authority. I need to be humble enough to see when I fall short and then um, profess that. Let, let my wife, let my children know, I know I've fallen short and I'm going to try to do better with the help of God's grace. Um, but I don't use it as an excuse because I think a lot of times we're tempted to um, excuse ourselves because we're fallen. Well, we are fallen and that that's a reality. The only thing that hurts us is when we say we've got like a um, the right to hold on to what we should be letting go of. So the circumstances um, that were happening, um, that were really outside the control of really anybody I was being short with, um, are not their fault. And uh, I need to represent, I mean, I need to do a better job of doing that. I need to let them know that. Um, so healing's part of it. So as a visible sign of the church, a family must know and strive to become what the church is. So a family should be, what the church is one, the church is one, the church is holy, the church is Catholic, and the church is apostolic. So um, to be a domestic church, our goal should be to reflect that oneness, um, to reflect that holiness, to reflect that Catholicity, and to reflect the apostolic nature of the church to be sent. We're sent into the world. So we have something to do. So let's start with becoming one, which I think will probably be the um, one we'll talk about today. So that how do we, how do we become one? How do we become unity? How do we be, a, how are we a visible sign of this oneness of the Catholic church? So first off, very important there is only place, there's only one place for lasting unity. It's not found in like the least common denominator. It's not found in let's negotiate this and figure out what, you know, what we can come to terms on. There's part of it that's, that's that. But that oneness, that unity is truly from a Catholic Christian perspective. And there's not a difference between being Catholic and being Christian. But from a Catholic perspective is the source of all lasting unity, the only place where unity exists for eternity. And we got to plug into that. And that's the blessed Trinity, the father, son, and the Holy spirit. So to be one, we have to participate in the unity that's found in God, that, that gift of who they are. So Jesus Christ is one is the one through whom we have access to God, the father. So in order to reveal and in order to realize oneness or unity, we have to actively, consciously participate in the holy, the most holy sacrifice of the Mass, because that's where we are most visibly and most um, fully in um, the presence of God himself. So we believe at the Mass. That's why it's so important for, and we've talked about this before, but I, I'll say it from now until whenever they tell me I can't talk anymore about it. We should be making a an offering, a morning offering. We should unite what happens today, things that we can't see. All of our actions, our words, our deeds should be united with the sacrifice, the perfect once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross that's made present again, that's represented at every mass. And so what that means to be actively and consciously a participant is to recognize what's going on. We are, we're 
in the presence of what occurred 2,000 plus years ago on Calvary. It's being made present to us again. But as Colossians 1.24, which is another verse that we um, should all remember, so I make up for what is lacking. I would. Re- you know, I rejoice in my sufferings, for I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his ch- body, the church. Colossians one twenty four. Every good Catholic because should, should know that verse, because what that is, is that I, I rejoice in my suffering. So I should be rejoicing <laughs> when that suffering is occurring, when things aren't working the way I want. And the way that I need to, I need to be consciously aware of the fact that those things that are going on that are causing that tension inside of me should be something that should be given up and offered to God the Father through, with, and in Jesus. And we do that by a morning offering and then attendance at least, you know, once a week, at least every Sunday at the Mass. That's why it's so central. So the Eucharist, um, Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity, which is which is um, made available at every Mass, the Eucharist is the source of all unity because God gives himself, his life, his love, his grace, all that to us. And without that gift, true and lasting unity is literally impossible. I mean, unity relies first and foremost on God's gift of himself, the God who is love, who is charity, who is agape, the self-giving. And that's why a crucifix is so important a symbol Um of this visible sign of this gift that he's given us. And so if we have a crucifix with the corpus on the cross, that should remind us that we should not be afraid of, nor should we think that we, that if we're living correctly, um, that there's no suffering that's going to occur. The perfect being, the, the, the perfect one, Jesus Christ suffered himself. And that's why Paul can rejoice that is all what Jesus accomplished is all inclusive. He is, he did everything that needed to happen, but part of his plan, which is Paul, which is what Paul's saying in Colossians, part of that plan is to invite us to take our sufferings and offer it together with him. So when we go to mass, we should bring those things we've struggled with, or even, even the way we've sinned and say, we're sorry. And all of our gifts, our talents, everything, our children, everything that God's given us, we should give back to him on that patent and offer it back to him at the mass. So we have to receive God's love and then give ourselves back to God in love. And this is the um, Pope Benedict prior to his becoming Pope Benedict wrote a lot on, on what the church has always talked. There's a vertical dimension life. And so the cross again is such an important sign. If you remember God could have come any way, shape, or form. He also could have come in any, (laughs) he could have got our salvation, gained our salvation by any means, but he chose the cross. I'd like you to think of that vertical as the beam that's attaching to the earth and then going up. That vertical beam is that relationship between us as individuals and as a family with God himself, that vertical beam. And I think it's not a coincidence. In fact, I think it's providence that that Jesus to, chose to die on a cross to show us this. There is a vertical aspect to this, our relationship with God. And so how do we do that? We go to Mass. Um, we should be praying together um, as a couple. We should be praying together as a family. Um, to be an accurate reflection of the church prayer is is the recognition that, albeit it doesn't look from purely material standards like there's anybody else but whoever's in our house at that moment, but but by praying we're outwardly signifying the truth that there are invisible beings and certainly God is in the middle of that. So we should be praying. Um, also, given the fact that we are sinners. And that we are, um, we frequently fall short. Um, we should be frequenting the sacraments, but particularly we should gain strength from frequenting confession. So as a, a reconciliation and penance, 
Um, that sacrament is central to to our ability to actually be transformed, the grace that God gives us to recognize in ourself um, those ways that we fall short, um, but also um, not not just that, but also to um, admit those things and then gain the grace by being honest with God and then honest with ourselves and honest with our spouse and our children about our shortcomings and then trusting in God's mercy, number one, that, that we don't gain his mercy by being perfect. We don't gain his mercy by not sinning. We gain his mercy because we're sinners and, and that we recognize that and we turn around and do it. Like I you know, said before, a good football coach knows what he's got. So God being the perfect, he knows what he has and what that person's capable of. Frequently that player will mess up. So what, what happens to that? You just throw him away. No, a good coach will convict him. will will confront him. And so internally, if we know, Hey, we haven't, we didn't handle that very well, or I didn't do that very well, then that's the conviction of the Holy spirit. We got to be listening and attentive to what the Holy spirit is saying to us, which frequently that'll be that uncomfortableness after you've said something or done something that that comes to us, which is a gift. And instead of fighting it, embrace it. And then with our mouths, um, confess it and confess it to my kids, confess it to my wife when I fall short. But most importantly, because I can gain access to God's grace and his mercy, go to confession and be honest and upfront and totally forthcoming with those. And so we should be scheduling time and encouraging our children, and particularly if they're younger, making sure that they're getting to confession that's with you. Um, and that they should know that you go to confession regularly as, as a, as a uh, parent, um, but also help them, particularly when they're younger, after they've received their first confession, you know, their first um reconciliation penance that they're going back as a regular uh, on a regular basis so that's how we work on the vertical aspect so there's the vertical aspect so that that piece is mass praying together frequenting the sacraments add those was hopefully mass is part of what you do already prayer i know i can always work on on praying as a couple and even as a family but at a minimum you know praying it um at dinner or at lunch, if you're together, praying before you go to bed. I mean, um, the rosary is awesome. If you if you can do that, even a decade with the younger with younger children, is a recognition of this vertical aspect that that leads to union because the all union eventually is a gift from God, all oneness. So now let's move on to the next one. So the visible unity of the Catholic Church um, relies on this invisible union between Christ and His Church, which is His bride. Which is interesting. God reveals himself. Jesus reveals his church as his bride. So he's chosen to take matrimony, to take marriage as an outward sign. So if we look at what Jesus does, and that's exactly what happens in in Ephesians 5, 21, 24, is he's laying out, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, be submissive or to your husbands as to the church. And again, I mean, as, as the church is to Christ, remember when we say submissive, it doesn't mean the way that we hear it, you know, often referred to today. I think we've said this before, but I think it's important to reiterate this. That means to be under his mission, under your husband's mission. And what is his mission primarily? I mean, to get, himself and his family to heaven. And that means to, like Jesus, to serve his wife and to serve his children by working hard, by being around, by all those things. And so to be under his mission is allow him and help him to recognize that, number one, and then to fulfill that mission. So it's not submissive like, you know, obey me. (laughs) It's submissive as let, let me should be, let me, okay, I'll let you serve me. It should be along those lines. Um, and so um, 
that's really important. So husband must concretely, meaning in, in action, not just in word, and openly in a way that others can see, demonstrate his ongoing love for his wife as a sign of the primacy of that relationship for the good of the family. So unity, therefore, also, uh, as I'm saying here, also, you know, relies on self-gift of one person to another, a husband to his wife, a wife to to her husband. And that's the dimension of all unity between two persons. So gift and, and also gift itself to persons. So the focus here is on communication, you know, on co- becoming one with the other, with other people in outward, visible, tangible ways. And so from a practical standpoint, um, we should be doing date nights with our wives or our husbands. So that now again, as we get busy, that's harder and harder to do. Um, until they they leave or get big enough to be able to go wherever they want to, um, and and you have time by yourself. But we should be actively trying to um, spend time with our spouse. Um, my I remember my mother. Um, talking to us because she would, she and my dad would at least once a year kind of go away. Um, and oftentimes they would just go across town to a hotel or wherever in Houston and go to dinner and spend a weekend away from us to just be themselves. I mean, be within themselves. And I remember asking, why are y'all doing that? And, you know, my mom's simple answer was, well, because I got to live with your dad a lot longer than I got to live with you. But beyond that, I think what that did is communicated that the the source in material way, the source of the whole family of me being existence is the union between my dad and my mom. I mean, that's ultimately where I came from. And so it's always important, I think, for that to take primacy for that relationship between a husband and a wife um, to take primacy. So find time to do something. One of the things that I, that I mentioned, if, if it's too busy and you, or you can't afford a babysitter or, and they're not old enough to do it, then, then make time every night um, for just 15 minutes to, Spend time. We we called it couch time. That was kind of what we had learned from from an old parenting thing. But but we're we're hey look, we're going to focus on each other for the next fifteen minutes. So again, set the timer. Nobody interrupts us, and we're going to talk about the day, struggles, whatever. But but at a minimum, do that. Um, and then preferably, I mean, so that you could do that probably every night. You could come home most every night and do it and do it in a way that's conspicuous. I mean, let them see mom and dad talking to one another, um, asking each other what, what's going on? How can I help those type of things and let them see it. That's, that is a important part of being in a human, um, marriage. The kids need to know that. So a date night is one way and that may, you know, maybe you could do that once a week, maybe it's once a month, but it should be kind of on, on the schedule um, for that visible uni- unity. But also you could do something regularly, maybe once a night, maybe just, you know, four nights a week or whatever, but set aside 15 minutes uh, and tell your kids you can't interrupt for that and let them see you two um, sitting there together. So another thing that's a, that's an outside, I mean, it's an outward way and this is really important when you're but particularly like, so if you get home husbands or wives, but I'll, I'll talk from a husband. If I get home and my wife, um, Stephanie said something that, you know, Trevor was disrespectful today or, or he didn't, obey or he didn't do what he was supposed to do. This is really important. Don't say your mother said, or why did you do that to your mother? Instead, use my wife. And that's a, that's a trick that I think is really important. You know, why did you disrespect my wife? (laughs) 
because that's the foundation of her being the mother. She didn't become a mother, um, your mother, uh, separate from me in that relationship. So it points to that relationship. It sounds like a small thing, but I guarantee you it makes a big difference instead of talking about your your mother as opposed to my wife, because then it makes it personal. They hear, okay, this is <laughs> there's a relationship that kind of supersedes um, the mother-son or mother-daughter relationship. So wives can do the same thing. Why why are you talking to my husband that way? Um, Try it out. I promise you, it makes a difference. Um, Other things that are outward signs, family nights, you know, games or reading set aside a night, you know, once a week. You know, when they get really busy, I remember, you know, we basically had to get on their schedule and say, okay, we're going to spend, you know, 45 minutes or an hour together when they had a bunch of other stuff going on on this night. Put it down, no friends, no going anywhere, nothing gets in the way, and we'd have to schedule that. It was like where Stephanie got her um, gospel meetings, which is get on the same page, people, which is the, the term for gospel, gee, get on <laughs> the same page, people. And... um And so to have that as, okay, we're a family, we need to recognize, you know, who's got to have the car. If you're short a car, where am I going? What's going on? What can we be praying about? What's big happening at work to have those times together to do it. And then just have times. that's just fun. We still try to do that and, and we let it go. And then when it happens, I always find, I always find, why don't we do this more often? I mean, to just sit around and play a game, get a board game. I think we played Code Names the other night. I don't even remember what it's about, but it was a lot of fun. We played, um, oh, I forget, uh, Train, um, anything that, that, that makes you sit down and engage with one another. During those conversations, there may not be anything other than just kidding around, teasing, hey, you know. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to beat you, whatever, but, um, whatever you do, just make time to do that. Um, again, asking for help, even as a parent to ask for help, you know, to go, I can remember back when things were crazy to go to the older son. I mean, lots of moving parts, the triplets maybe were three or four. Steph was exhausted. I was at work. I'm exhausted. Come back. And then just to be willing to ask for help. Hey, it would really be would be great if tonight you maybe would um, do the dishes for for mom or or would help clean up uh your brother's room or something like that. Just to ask for help shows that there's something that they're adding to the equation. It's not all coming down from on high. It's something that they can give, which is again encourages them encourages the kids to recognize that they have something to give to the family and to learn that part, that love is self-gift for them to use their mind, their, you know, help your, help your brother with calculus as they get older, you know, Hey, Grayson's really good at this. Why don't you go ask him for help? And Grayson, you know, even before talk to him and say, Hey, He's gonna. I'm gonna ask him to come to you because you're better at it than I am. Why don't you? Will you sit down for like 15 minutes and go over his homework with with him? You know, to let him know that they're part of a family. Um, another thing is that I think is important. We've talked about before. These are all. This is called a refresher. But to require the response when you ask a child to do something of start with yes. <laughs> The answer should be yes. We always allowed them, and this I think this is really important, we, we allowed them the ability to kind of ask or provide additional information. So if the answer, if it was, hey, turn off the TV, it's time to come eat. You know, turn off the TV, it's time to come eat. Their, their first response should be, and it should be trained, yes, mom, or yes, dad. But... If they're someplace, you have to give them the, the the ability to say, hey, can I give you some additional information? We use, everybody laughs at this. It's the only thing that ever seemed to work. And our kids said it all the time. We still joke about it. You know, may I appeal? So they would say yes. 
mom, yes, dad, may I appeal? And what that meant was they have some additional information that they wanted to give us that might change the immediacy of their being obedient. So, yes, mom, may I appeal? Sure, you may appeal. What do you got? Hey, we've got like seven minutes left on this show that we're watching and it would be kind of awkward to move. It, would it be possible if we could just move back dinner, like maybe 10 minutes so we could finish watching it and we'll come right away? Again, what, 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 what we've always said is you try to say yes, particularly when they handle something like an adult. So instead of whining, instead of, instead of oh, man, you know, and that, you get them to say yes, mom, but, but know that they, that they need to know that they can provide some additional information that may or may not change. You don't have to make that change, but is it okay to wait 10 minutes? Well, then maybe there's nobody else coming over for dinner. There's not anybody in a hurry to get somewhere or need, we need to eat and move on to something else. Then try to say yes to that. Say, okay, sure, go ahead. But then challenge them to f- follow through through that. So when they get to the end, have them say, um, hey, we're done, turn the TV off and come down. When you do that, it, it builds unity because we're, we recognize that we all have different needs and stuff. But then it also um, allows for um, kind of a, 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 I don't know, if, an equalness in terms of dignity that, that we're not just their boss, but we're in, the, in authority. So that's another one. Try and I'm really bad at this because I guess it's my Irish, but I can't use that as an excuse. Um, avoid yelling <laughs> to the best of your ability. Um, try to use words and explain if you're frustrated. Like this is what I should have done. I mean, like when we when this weekend I said, "Listen, guys, I'm tired. I'm 56 year old in 95 degree heat, walking up and down stairs and bringing stuff." I apologize for this. It would really be helpful if we would just stay on task and not and not goof around. It would mean a lot to me, and it would help me do better. You know, that type of communication and using words. That's not what I did, but, but that's what I should have done. And again, part of it is, um, is being an outward sign of or an example to them of this is how they should handle things. And that's why, again, apologizing, going back and explaining, I should have done this. I didn't. And for that, I, I, I ask for your forgiveness, but this is what I should have done. And the more you do that, the more you're coaching and counseling and the more unity will come into your family because you're actually treating each other um, the way they ought to, where we ought to be treating treated. And then finally, another, another thing that I think is really important um, on communication between to be becoming one, to become one with them, is when infants and toddlers, we've talked about this before too, teach them sign language, ask them. So instead of them, you know, we have, a, we have, I wish I could teach our dog sign language because he'll whine and moan and make, make noises because he wants whatever, food outside, and he's just persistent. But with a child, even when they can't speak, you can ask them, please. I mean, you can teach them how to ask, please. You can teach them how to make a motion towards their mouth when they want to eat or something like that. So to get them away, even at a young age, from kind of demanding and not communicating and allow them and provide them with the means even before they can talk, it, it works so well as they grow older. If you've taught them at a very young age how to ask please, how to say thank you, even just with a hand signal when they can't actually say the words, and to teach them that when they want something, they should ask for it, um, not whine for it or yell for it or throw a tantrum for it, but should ask for it. Um, so I think that those are hopefully some ones. So date nights, uh, couch time, My use my wife or my husband when talking about your spouse to your kids. 
um, family nights with games, read stories together. I mean, I didn't mention this, but we've mentioned around Christmas, you know, we had, we have certain books that we would read like Jotham's journey, you know, it's something that's kind of a, a ritual, something that they get used to. Okay. It's Advent. So we're going to sit down and read for 20 minutes from this book that we all know the story, but it's such a good story. It's fun to listen to and to be a part of and to laugh about. Um, remember to, teaching them to ask for help and, and you yourself asking for help to kind of solidify this idea that I can give something back to this family but by, by my help, by my age. And the younger you can get them started on, on knowing that they have the ability to help clean up and do those things and that you praise them when they do it, the better. Um, instead of doing oftentimes that causes a little bit more time because they can't do it as quickly or as well as you, but uh, it's worth the investment to do that. Um, yes, mom, you know, yes, dad, when asked, give them the ability to appeal, um, avoid yelling and use words and teach them to do the same. And then teaching them sign language kind of goes off that. So anyway, that's, those are all things that we can do visibly outward signs of that unity. And then another thing, which is really important to remember, visible unity of the Catholic Church on earth relies on authority, particularly the Pope, but, but also our bishop um, and, our, and our pastor at, at the church where the, it relies on the authority of those people. And we should respond the way to them the way we respond. Uh, we ask our children to respond to us um, initially Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I agree. But you can't ask, you know, humbly. You know, we said another thing that we talked was, may I ask why? You know, why is not a bad question as long as they really want to know why and it's not a challenge to them. So may I ask why? That's the way we should respond to the church when the church says something we don't necessarily understand. Yes. May I ask why? And then go find the answer to that. But it, it is, unity is so critical, a, a critical piece of unity is um, authority. And um, uh, let me see, St. Saint, Saint Augustine, you know, actually stated that all truth is predicated on authority and were it not for the church and her authority, that he would never have become a Catholic. So moms and dads must exercise their authority. We are meant to be an authority. The purpose of all properly understood authority is for the ben benefit of those under authority. And so that's where the world kind of messes up this view. <laughs> authority is not meant to be the boss over somebody. When you're in authority, you're meant to be the servant of somebody. You're serving them. You're, you're, you have more wisdom than them on something, and therefore you are, for their sake, exercising authority. No, you can't do that. Or you ought to handle it this way, or and you're and you're giving them those things. You're coaching and counseling them for their sake. Like I think I mentioned last week about an argument between one of my sons and me, and and again, this takes more time. Purposeful parenting does. Uh, any parenting that is a reflection of truth takes more time to try to get to the heart of the child. When you ask them, I was telling a son he had to do something, and it was costing me time. <laughs> and he, he said, I don't understand why you're doing this. And I said, well, you need to ask yourself, why am I doing it? Does it benefit me to be sitting up here in an argument with you? Or could I just say, yes, do whatever you want to do. The easiest thing for me to would be not exercise any authority. <laughs> the easiest thing for me would be to go to my bed, turn on a TV and escape. That would be the easiest thing. So ask the child or, and, and look at it this way. How am I helping him to become a better person by encouraging him to do something, demanding that he do something or demanding that he not do something? Um, I think that's really important. So um, it's service. John Paul II, our, kind of our patron here, calls himself, he called himself the servant, the servant of God's servants. And that's the way we should look at it. Authority is not the way the world looks at it. This kind of from on high, lord it over them. You do what I tell you to do because I told you to do it. 
you can do that sometimes. It still needs to be at their service. And you need to ask yourself, why are you doing it? It should be for their benefit. Don't play in the street. You know, um, eat your vegetables. All those type of things would be things that would be for their best interest, not because I'm demanding it, but it's for them. And so authority of parents requires serving your children. And so, again, going back through, we're, we're, we've come to kind of the close here. Remember that visible unity is only possible truly by plugging into, so to speak, the unity that is the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So get the Mass, pray together, frequent the sacraments, certainly Mass, but also, also a confession. That would be one. Also, remember that there should be outward signs in your family um, that show that unity. So date nights, couch time, my wife, my husband, you know, family nights together, those type of things. And then ultimately, authority is essential, <laughs> absolutely essential to that. And we need to exercise it, but it needs to be seen through the eyes of what the church views authority to be, the kingship. We're priest, prophet, and king, right? King means to be at the service of those people under our authority. So as a husband, I should serve my wife. As a father, I should serve my children. And so anyway, we're, um, we're drawn to a close. I, um, I think that, um, hopefully you've got, got some good ideas from this and I hope that, um, that some, there's some practical things for you, but I mean, kind of fire hose. <laughs> Remember that the, uh, that the invisible reality of who God is and how he works is meant to be kind of the guidepost or the direction of that. So, Always uh, remember to pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. And I promise you, if you'll put any of these things into, play, into place, He will amaze you. You'll see changes in your family. You'll see changes in yourself. And you'll see change for the better. Unity. God bless you guys. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Thanks for listening. Bye.